hold of mine. Host Lewis Alexander with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, if you feel to try to answer any automotive questions you may have, go ahead and give us a call. We'll try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And there you go. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. And the local number is 291-6901. Couldn't be any easier than that. Just give us a call. We'll try to help you out and... Get you going? At least get you going or maybe keep you from going the wrong way. (laughs) (laughs) You know, sometimes not going at all is better than going the wrong way. Exactly. So, (laughs) you know, we were talking, chit-chatting just a little bit before the show about what we want to talk about today. And as always, we try to come up with some sort of a direction, but you never limit it to that. You can talk about anything. Give us a call on any topic you may have, whatever happens to be bugging you. On some of the newer cars, there are, and I know we seem to be harping on new cars all the time, and there are certainly some features on there that people really, really like. They are. are helpful. But what you have to always remember, my side, what I see of new technology is not how cool it is. Or what it does. What right. it does. My side is when it breaks and it has to be fixed. I'm looking at the faces of the folks who have to pay the bills. Sure. So that's 100% of my sample. That's why I maybe tend to be more negative than a lot of people are. Right. You, you read these articles in car magazines. Oh, this is great. It does this. It does that. It does. Yeah. It really does. But there is also another side of it, which I don't think gets presented, and that is my side, which is only thing I'm seeing is the broken ones. And like I said, the shock and awe of Yo, people's yeah. faces when they find out what it costs to maintain this technology an example of that is the lane departure technology that's getting very, very popular. Sure. In fact, I think it's just about standard on most of the new cars. And it's cool because if you let go of the wheel, it will start to eventually veer towards the shoulder, towards the center line. Well, when it does, it's going to beep at you first. And if you allow it to continue, it's going to the wheel will pull back. And right. It will, it will actually steer itself back into the lane. Try to correct itself, which is a good feature. Sure. It may help someone. Another thing is if you go to change lanes and there's someone on the side of you, it's going to beep and try to turn back against right. you. So it won't let you make that mistake or try to prevent you from making that mistake. And it's a good technology, and it does do some good things. Now, what a lot of folks don't realize, there are cameras on either side of that car that are watching the center line. That's how it knows it's in its lane. Now, when not to talk about it breaking, per se, because it, there's an expense there, but just something like a front-end alignment. When you go to do a front-end alignment now on one of these cars, you have to reset all those cameras. Right, and there is a, a very extensive procedure to do this. Right, it's not like just pushing a button. Right, to set the vehicle up, there's several criteria the vehicle has to be in before you can even get started. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you have to, to take a center line through the vehicle and set up some special targets so many feet in front of the vehicle then you have to take a scan tool and go in and access this and tell it, hey, this we're, we're in relearn this mode is, now. This is center line. Right. This is center line, and we're in relearn and relearn the camera. Mm-hmm. That much technology, it takes about an hour and a half right. to takes, set all this up and get it longer to reset all this stuff after the alignment than it did do the alignment. Sure. And I guess the point that I was trying to make on all this is that that front end alignment that maybe used to cost a hundred dollars is probably going to cost you about two fifty to three hundred dollars now. Exactly. And the thing is, when you see that, 
don't get mad at the tire store or the alignment shop or the dealership or whoever and think right. they're just ripping you off. This it's, is the technology that was bought with this vehicle. That's what came on the car, and that's what they're saying has to be done. Right, for and, it to operate properly when you're finished. Right. If not, it's going to keep on blinking that light at you and turning the wheel against you and, and who knows what else. Right. It may, may shut the car down, may shut the throttle down if it thinks you're out of control. But there is going to be a cost in maintaining this stuff. Yep. The same thing with the cruise control where it's got the radar detects Mm -hmm. object in front of you well all that if you get bumped in the front and you break that little radar sensor sure that's going to have to be replaced you're going to have to relearn all that stuff and under several other criteria all that has to be repaired so i guess the point is it's always you want to kill the messenger (laughs) first off and when you see nobody likes to see prices rising drastically on something that they've been buying for years mm-hmm. they've been buying front alignments for anywhere from 50 to 100 dollars for the last 50 years sure. and now all of a sudden they're telling you it's 250 bucks well wow what what know, changed yeah what and this, changed? this new technology is what is is driving the market right now well it is and you take like some of the traction control devices where it's sensing the center line have yaw sensors that requires a resetting of all this sure. as well steering angle sensor right that's been around since back oh eight oh nine yeah 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 i think it became standard equipment in 12 right and so when i guess the the point i'm trying to make is it's not that someone's trying to profiteer on you necessarily it's just that this is what it costs to maintain all this stuff sure very 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 involved and i had a gentleman called last week and he was saying he goes on a forum and he says the the public's perception is that when your car is breaks you go into the shop they've got this magic machine and they just plug it in and tells them what's wrong <laughs> and he made an excellent analogy he says what a scan tool does is gives you a code that's sort of like if i'm looking for a person in a town let's say i'm looking for a person in new york okay well this machine gives you the zip code where he lives All right of course it's that's still not a vast area find, yeah you got a big 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 area you still have to find out okay in this zip code, what neighborhood, what street, what address, what house number, right? And then if there's multiple units in this house, which apartment number? Correct. And that's sort of kind of the way, and that's not my analogy, it's one he gave, which mm-hmm. I think is a good one, but it's sort of kind of the way that it works. When you go and get a code read, that is not a diagnosis. No. That is merely telling you what area of the car may possibly be setting well, and- this problem. It's not like you can take a Chevrolet and a Toyota, get the same code, and go for the same repair. Right. Or Because we did that in the shop one day. We took a Chevy truck and a Toyota truck, created a vacuum leak on both. Mm-hmm. One set a mass airflow sensor code, and the other one set a oxygen, oxygen sensor. sensor code. Mm-hmm. Neither one of which was the problem. Correct. It was a big vacuum leak. Right. But the two different vehicles were written in two different ways, so the software was written different. Right. Well, you have to them, know what you're looking for when you go in. One of them more air entering the system than it should have. That's all it knows. Mm-hmm. I've got more. My mixture is leaning out. My injector rate is right. So it's going to assume the mass airflow meter must be reading wrong. That's the way the software That's is written. What it's going to say. There's absolutely nothing wrong with the mass airflow meter. So if you get a code and you go change that $450 mass airflow sensor and then reprogram it to the car and you still got the same code, sure. it's going to be pretty disappointing to you. And a lot of, speaking of mass airflow sensors, a lot of those have a core on them. So when you buy a new one, you have to give them the old one. That's right. The old one was still good. 
Right. And the one you bought is probably not as good as the one you give away. Well, if you went to a parts store and bought a rebuilt one and not got the original equipment rebuilt, it may not be nearly as good. In fact, it may not. You may now have yeah. a mass airflow sensor <laughs> exactly. problem. And the chances of getting your original one back well, are slim. Well, it's gone. You turn it in for a core, it's been shipped off to be rebuilt, and sure, it's gone now. It's, you're not going to get that back. The thing is, if the same point where you had the vacuum leak, well, again, what the other vehicle saw is that our exhaust has too much oxygen in it. Mm-hmm. So it's saying the oxygen sensor is out of range. Well, the oxygen sensor is out of range because, because it's reading the out of range. is out of range. <laughs> Correct. So, again, you cannot go by this code. You have to start there. Right. It's, it's a starting point at best. At best. Well, you say, okay, I've got an oxygen sensor code here. Next thing I'm going to do is look at the freeze frame data and say, okay, well, this oxygen sensor code also has an excessive fuel air fuel trim Mm -hmm. so why am i adding fuel when the oxygen sensor says i'm too lean right you know then you have to go through and blah 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 blah. test the sensor okay well the sensor is reading correctly test the mass airflow meter well it's reading correctly so then you're going to go in and smoke test the system and you find find the vacuum vacuum leak. leak but i guess to tie this into what we've been talking about all of this stuff requires time none of these tests are really really quick and they require a very highly skilled and highly paid individual to locate them. So by the time you come down to the final diagnosis, you probably involved at least an hour of shop time. Sure. Which is going to put you up in the $100 range somewhere. Even and, though the repair might be 20 minutes. Well, it could be a vacuum line that's split. That exactly. wasn't obvious. You couldn't see it. It wasn't making any noise, but that was causing the problem. So, yeah, it may be as simple as changing the vacuum line. But what's the alternative? Why should I pay $100 to fix a vacuum line? Well, you're paying $100 to keep from changing the mass airflow sensor and keep from changing the oxygen sensors. Exactly. Because that's going to cost way, way in excess of $100. And, you know, the oxygen sensor seems to be the the go-to thing when the light comes on. Well, because almost anything that, that goes wrong in the system is going to affect set, the exhaust. Right. And I've seen oxygen sensors change four or five times. Oh, yeah. The same one, four or five times. We must have or got a bad one. one. <laughs> or, or the wrong one, because there's sometimes there's four of them under there. Yeah. Quite often you have four sure. of them. And it's a lack of understanding when it sets an oxygen sensor code, per se. That does not mean the sensor is bad. In fact, it rarely means the sensor right. is bad. Well, the code reads O2 sensor out of range. Out of range. And it doesn't read not you know not cooked up or not connected or broken or anything like that it reads out of range right and and that's its job is to read the well, range almost everything that goes wrong in the system is going to affect the exhaust mixture mm-hmm. because let's say you've got a bad spark plug sure so you got a misfire a bad call well you got a misfire well, when that fuel air mixture does not burn it goes out the exhaust right through the tailpipe the oxygen is going to say hey I'm, i got way too much fuel in the mixture here Mm-hmm. So it's going to throw a code for being out of range. Again, the problem is the misfire. Sure. Maybe you got a bad ignition call. Maybe, 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 maybe. Right. That, the point that's is. That's the key thing. Yeah, the exhaust is going to be affected, and that's what it's reading. Right. So it's either going to set an O2 sensor code, or depending on the car, may set a mass airflow sensor code, and has absolutely nothing to do with either one of those. So the reason that you want to spend money on a diagnosis because it's cheaper than changing parts that did not need to be changed. Exactly. Hey, we're going to take a quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. That's the best. Ah, yes, Mr. Bigfoot. Uh, make yourself comfortable on the couch and tell me if I stressed you out. 
I'm just a secluded forest dweller, and I like it like that. But every now and then, I get these people hunting me down. There's a TV show, jerky commercials, and now another movie. Then I worry about the hype. If they do find me, will my feet be big enough? Well, Mr. Foot, I can't really do much about these people, but I can tell you how to create some peace of mind in your life. Do like me and take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. They provide me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need now and in the future. They can even catch small issues that could lead to big, expensive problems down the road. An Agco general inspection, huh? Oh, one more thing, Doc. Could you tell me where I can find this toilet paper? I've heard wonderful things about it. Here's Agco's number. And the name of another store that may ship some TP straight to your cave. Thanks, Doc. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just join us. This is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. Why don't you give us a call? Our number is 291-6901. And should you happen to miss your prime opportunity this morning, you can always get your questions answered by visiting our website, which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. You click the button. It's going to pop up a little form. Fill out the little form with your symptom and the miles and uh, make of your vehicle and send it on in there you go well, it couldn't be any easier than that we were talking a little bit about some of the newer technologies and and how they complicate or make repairs more expensive mm-hmm. and there are even things that are really not that high tech that do sort of the same thing we had a car come in the other day and the gentleman has spent a fairly large amount of money on an intermittent problem and it was throwing one code and then another code. And the first thing we did is we checked the electrical system, the charging system. Uh-huh. And what he had was a battery that was below capacitance. It was still able to crank the car. In fact, when I told him that the battery was the problem, he kind of balked at it. Right. He says, well, no, it cranks the car just fine. I said, well, it may crank the car just fine, but 8 volts will crank that car. Sure. But it takes a full 12 and a half volts to run the electronics. And what it was doing, it wouldn't pass the uh, readiness test. Right. Because when he would crank the car, not every time, but let's say it would sit for a couple of days, he would crank the car. The voltage would drop down to about nine, nine and a half volts, which would clear the registers. Mm-hmm. And so the it, eight volts, it would crank and right. start, but the readiness test is incomplete and he kept going back he had had some kind of repair done about two or three months ago and the readiness test had never completed sure and he said well how much do i have to drive it? i said well normally in the course yeah, of two week. or three days maybe a week, week most at most but you know have you had the right amount of fuel in the tank because if you don't have enough fuel you got too much fuel it may not run some tests yeah i, I did that and have you driven highway and gone from a coal yeah i've done that i've done that and what i noticed was we went in and I noticed that the charging system was dropping below specified, so we checked the alternator. It's good, the battery below capacitance. But to confirm it, I induced a code into the memory. Mm -hmm. I just unplugged a sensor while the car was running, which threw a code in memory. Then I cut it off, let it sit for a while, cranked it up, and then went and checked it again. The code is gone. Right. And the way it lost the code is that the computer reset. When the voltage dropped below a certain point, it reset the computer. Sure. And so all the readiness tests were also incomplete. Long story short, we put a new battery in and fixed, fixed the, problem. the problem. But I guess the point is batteries don't just fail 
in one way. Right. Most people think, you know, you go out, you turn the key, nothing happens, hey, the battery's dead. And that is one way they fail. Mm-hmm. But they also fail, just like you were saying, they lose their, their load capacity. Right. They, well, they do all kinds of yeah. things. Sometimes they're just dead. Sometimes they just get weak. And sometimes you don't even notice that they've gotten weak. It's just that it really doesn't give a whole lot of symptoms, except that it affects the electrical system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the South, we see a lot more dead batteries, I think, than people in the North where it's cooler during the summer because the hot, hot weather is what really kills the battery. I know they always show up in the cold weather. Right. But the reason being... It's a chemical reaction, and it's optimized for about 75 to 80 degrees. That's where that reaction is optimized. Mm -hmm. And as long as it stays at that temperature, then it's operating around 100%. Now, in the south, we may get 100 degrees outside on some days, and it may be 120 degrees under the hood of that car. Oh, at least. Well, now, that battery is operating at far in excess of 100%. It's operating maybe at 140 percent or so right which is using up all the chemicals and the metals in the battery a lot faster than they would because it's operating above its capacity now more to the point because it's operating at say 140 percent of its capacity even though it's weak it's it doing doesn't just fine. show right. let's say it's 30 percent weak but it's operating at 140 percent so it's basically 100 percent exactly our output now what happens is the first cool day comes along temperature drops down around 50 degrees well now instead of operating at 140 percent it's not even at 100 percent because remember 80 degrees is 100 percent exactly at 50 it's probably only operating at around 75 percent and it's operating at 75 percent of 75 (laughs) percent right so now it's click 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 click. it won't even start the car and that's why we always say that people think the cold weather killed the battery well no the cold weather showed up a bad battery the battery was already bad mm-hmm. it's just because of the hot weather it was kind of still hanging in there a little bit and we see that a lot here i was talking to a gentleman up in connecticut by email right. last week he said their batteries last five years pretty regularly okay because they have very mild uh, summers compared to ours and of course the coal as long as the battery's good the coal is really not going to kill it you may have to keep it in a garage because if it gets too cold it won't right. kill it but they just don't really see the problems with batteries down here, if you get three years out of a battery, you've done pretty well. Sure. I mean, most batteries last anywhere from 30, 30 months to 48, maybe 48. Maybe 48. Really, really good. And some of that's going to depend on how much you drive the car. If you've got a car that you don't use every day and it tends to sit a lot, then you're going to get sure. a whole lot less life out of it. Because what happens i know we have folks particularly elderly people and they've got two cars because that's what they want Mm -hmm. and they don't use every car every day they don't go very far when they do use their cars and one car may end up sitting there for maybe a week without getting started then they'll crank it up and go to the grocery store and come back well you ask them are you using the car well yeah i use the car and (laughs) but what you don't remember or don't think about maybe is that when you crank that car over you turn the key right a starter motor is turning and that starter motor pulls about 175 amps so that draws a good bit out of that battery now what happens is that when it starts the alternator starts to turn and it starts to put some charge back in there however that alternator at an idle is putting out very very little current 
Probably sometimes, not. Sometimes 30, 40 amps, maybe. It may not put out enough to even run the car. Right. So you may be discharging at an idle. When you start driving down the road, RPM goes up to around 2,000. Now the alternator is turning fast enough to start charging up. Well, it starts to put the charge back in that's been taken out, but it takes a period of time to do this. It's, right. We talked about the electric cars. It takes six hours to recharge that battery. Well, on these cars, it's going to happen faster now because of smaller battery and it still takes a period of time to put this charge back in. So if you're getting in it, starting it up, driving to the store, well, we turn sucked, it off. Sucked 175 amps out. Right. And you so never got over levels back up. You put to the grocery store, but you don't get over maybe 1500 RPM, maybe a thousand RPM all the way there. It sits for a while. You crank it up. You're yeah. sucking some more out. Exactly. You drive back home where well, you're losing ground. Right. And you have enough capacity called reserve capacity and battery to handle some of that. But if you continue to do that, you're sort of deep cycling the battery. What happens is that you're using all the charge out of it. It's, it's getting, and then the plates start to sulfate and all that. Now, if you do take a long drive, now you charged it back up. Mm-hmm. But again, you're sort of deep cycling this battery. That is going to severely shorten the life of the battery, yep. particularly in the south where you have the very, very hot summers. And what we see with folks like that is they may have to put a battery in their car once a year, and they keep, well, I, why, I just why, can't yeah. get a good battery. But they don't realize it's the way they're operating the car. And it would be better if they would get rid of one of the cars. And just use one Use all one the time. and. Of course, I'm, I don't mean to try to tell people how to live their life. They feel more comfortable with two cars. They want two cars. They can afford two cars. God bless them. That's, Just got to understand that you, you may have trouble with one of them because yeah, you're not driving it enough. Yeah, or, or both of them if you don't drive either one of them enough. And that's a fairly common phenomenon that we see because we do have a good deal of elderly customers. Right. We've been in business so long, been in business 46, 47 years. A lot of our original customers are still with us. Sure. Well, you know, if they were in their 40s when we start doing business with them, well, now they're in their 80s, somewhere in their 90s. Right. Retired. Retired. And fortunately, we're working on their children's cars and their grandchildren's cars <laughs> now. But a lot of them do still come in. And that's just one of those special causes that you got where you're just going to have a weak battery. Mm-hmm. And then with the weak battery, a lot of other, depending on how that battery decides to die. Sure. You know, you may start getting theft system codes you may start getting all kinds of check engine lights you may go to the inspection to get your, your annual inspection, inspection and fail inspection and the car may still be starting and again all this kind of doesn't get related back right to what is the problem what's the real problem i've seen them change you know they'll go to the wrong place and they'll change this or change that and they still got the same problem well and that's where a good service writer comes in mm-hmm. you know he can ask the kind of questions that need to be asked when this situation reveals itself in the lobby before the vehicle even gets to the shop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're saying elderly people because they are sort of a classic example of that, but we've got an awful lot of young people who have the same issue. Sure, sure. they got multiple vehicles. One they drive on the weekend. or One, one may have a classic car they really, really like, but they don't drive very much. Right. We've got another fella who he and his wife, his wife has a car. He has a pickup that he likes, but he's also got a company car. Right. So uh, the, furnished to him by his job. So, so his pickup just sits. Exactly. And, you know, when he wants to go to get some fertilizer or whatever. Something that needs a truck for. He, he needs a truck. He wants a truck. But he just doesn't use the truck very sure. often. So, again, he has problems with his battery going dead and all that kind of stuff. It's just, you know, cars, like we've talked about many, many times on the show, they just don't like sitting. No. 
No, they don't. If you can put them on the highway and run them 70, 80 miles an hour for hours at a time, mm-hmm. that is the ideal situation. Yeah, they love that. And what happens all too often when the battery keeps going dead, they say, well, it must be something causing this, so they go change the alternator. Sure. Well, a modern computer-controlled alternator is not an inexpensive part. Depending on what kind of car it is, it could be 300 to $900 for an alternator. Right. And like you alluded to on the airflow meter, when you get an alternator, you're generally not going to get a new alternator. And when you do, it's not going to be a very good one because it's mm-hmm. going to be some kind of Chinese knockoff. But when you get a remanufactured alternator, you have to turn your old alternator in. Right. And depending on where you buy it, if you go to a parts store and get a white box rebuilt, it may not be as good as the alternator that you took off. We see that a lot. Now the old alternator's gone, the good one right. is gone. Now you do have a substandard alternator. Plus you're out so many hundred dollars for it. Well, and what makes it so bad, let's say you're not one of our regular customers and you went somewhere else or you went to several different places because mm-hmm. you're trying to solve a battery problem. And the problem is really because you're not operating the car the way it was designed to be operated. But then you go and you put an alternator on it. Well, when you bring it to me and you say, my battery keeps going dead. Well, I checked the alternator. The alternator's it's not working. It's a 90-amp alternator and it's putting out 40 amps. Right. Well, the first thing I have to do at this point, because I don't know all the history of this car, the first thing I've got to do is I've got to replace the alternator because it is substandard. It is putting out below what it's supposed to be putting out. That's just going to be the starting point. We're still going to have the original problem. Right. Hey, we're going to take another quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. So lie back on the couch, Ms. Bo Peep, and tell me what's got you stressed. Ugh, my sheep keep getting lost. I mean, they're in the meadow one minute, and I look down at a text, and then I don't know where to find them. And they keep doing it. Let me level with you, Doc. Sheep are not the smartest animals. <laughs> but you, Denise, you're the exception. Look, Doc, you ever try to have a conversation with a sheep? It's a little one-sided. They just look at you with this blank look on their faces. That and the whole getting lost thing has me at my wit's end. I can't really help you with losing sheep, but I can tell you how to get a little peace of mind. Do like me and take your car into Agco Automotive once a year for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what you need to keep your car running right, and it saves money in the long run. Ooh, but the money I save, I can buy some shock collars to keep those little halfwits in one place. <laughs> Denise, you know I wouldn't do that to you. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive problems you may have. Just give us a call. It's 291-6901. And we've got John's been patiently holding. Good morning, John. Good morning. Yes, sir. Just a quick question regarding warm-up time, the mm-hmm. start of the day. What is recommended? You know, most modern cars, John, it's really not necessary to warm up like it used to be on the old cars. I mean, I would right. like to get it, depending on the outside temperature. You know, if, it's, if you get one of these really cooler mornings where it's in the 50s, 40s, and, of course, people up north are laughing at us right now, but one of those where the idle is real high, certainly it would be prudent to give it a few seconds for the idle to return down to some more normal because when you first crank that car, it's going to jump up to 1,000 RPM. Yeah. Because it's trying to build all pressure and all that. And if you slam it in gear, you could have a problem. Beyond okay. that, almost every new car is going to automatically adjust itself to the cold state. For instance, what most of them will do, they'll lock out. They won't go to overdrive. You'll notice when you drive the car, it'll shift one, two, three, four, whatever. But it will not go to overdrive until it reaches operating temperature because it wants to keep the RPM up. 
It'll automatically richen up the fuel-air mixture. It'll automatically do all the things that it needs to do to protect itself. With the computers mm-hmm. nowadays, they're just so smart that they can do all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you're. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, they actually warm up faster than they used to. Uh, I, know, I, I know Ford has a damper system on the front of the radiator. And when the engine is real cold, it can close those dampers, right? make that engine warm up faster, and then when it gets to operating temperature, it can open those dampers back up right? and let the air flow through and the radiator and do its cooling then. Virtually all cars now have electric cooling fans, and it, right. just, it cuts the cooling fans off. So the fans don't work, the thermostat's closed, so it's going to warm up pretty darn fast. But it, it's a good question, John, and I would at least give it, if my idle were running up a lot faster than normal, and a lot of people down here because we don't get that many really cold days the first cold day like man something's wrong with the car it's idling too high you know that's all 100 percent controlled by the computer if it's idling high it wants it to idle high give it a second or two to come down but beyond Mm -hmm. that it's really not like the old cars where it was really necessary to warm them up right okay you gentlemen are the best thank you for your answer and uh god bless you oh stay dry well thank Thank you for the call man okay bye-bye bye-bye all right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we're going to go back to our phone lines. We've got Joe online. Good morning, Joe. Hey, Lewis. How you doing? Doing great, man. I look, 2010 Chevy HHR. Mm-hmm. During the summer, the car starts fine. When it starts to get cold, you go out there and start it. It kind of sputters a little bit. But after about 15 seconds, mm-hmm. it runs perfect. What engine you got in that thing, Joe? I think it's a 2.2 okay so, you know the that sounds like a vacuum leak and the reason mm-hmm. i say that is because what happens is that when you start the car the oxygen sensors are not running and those oxygen sensors don't work until they get hot that's why i call it a heated oxygen mm-hmm. sensor most newer cars have electrically heated oxygen sensors, so you don't have to wait for the car to warm up like you used to because it's not dependent on the exhaust system to heat it up. It heats itself up. But until it heats up, it's going to run on a default reading because it can't read. Now, let's say you've got a vacuum leak somewhere, and you're running on a default reading, and the outside temperature is colder than normal. Then it's going to lean out, and it's going to start running you know, running lean. On a hotter day, that may not be as much of a problem. But when the oxygen sensors do come online, it's just going to say, hey, we're too lean here, and the computer's going to increase the fuel trim and cover it up. So you mm-hmm. may not notice it once you've got it warmed up. It may just basically disappear, and you may not notice it on a warmer day. But on a cold day, it's going to do that for a few minutes. That's kind of really, really common on a vacuum leak. Now, where is the vacuum leak? Man, that could be anybody's guess. It could be anything right. from a cracked vacuum line to a brake booster leaking to an intake manifold gasket leaking on and on and on and on it could be i mean you could certainly inspect the car and see if you can find it if you can't find it you may have to take it to a shop where they can do a smoke test on it and that may reveal it unfortunately you need to get it to them when it's cold and bring it the night before and leave it with them because a lot of those leaks will happen let's say an intake manifold leak when the engine warms up the aluminum lower intake kind of swells up and that plastic kind of swells up and it may close the leak off so you may not show up once it's warmed up so i would certainly listen as good as you can go around even get a piece of like heater hose hose, put it in your ear and go all around the base intake see if you can hear any leakage there and if you can then great you could probably fix it yourself you may find a split vacuum line or whatever if you can't and you want to bring it to the shop, bring it in the night before, and particularly on a colder night. And that okay. way they have a b- pretty good chance of going to it. 
Well, I'll try it. If not, I'll bring it in. Okay, sounds great. Also, I got another question. Sure, go ahead. You don't work on Infinity, huh? Yes, sir, we can. I have a light on my Infinity that came on. It's a little red square with a key in it. That's the security system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it still starts okay? Yeah. Is it a push-button start or is it a key start? It's a push-button. Push-button. It may be the battery going dead in the remote. Yeah, I would certainly check the remote battery because most of them, see, if that battery dies, you're not going to be able to start the car. So most of them right. do give you a warning of some sort. In fact, it's on the maintenance schedule every so often to change that battery. Right. That would be the mm-hmm. first thing I would do because that's easy. You can do it yourself, and it's not going to be. But, yeah, that if, if it sees that signal is getting weaker, it may flag that light to tell you, hey, change that battery. Now, if you go to your owner's manual and look around, some vehicles have a slot that you can shove that remote down into and override in case the battery dies you can still start the car mm-hmm. right but you got to find it because okay. they they hide them i know in the mustang it's in the center console mm-hmm. some of them are real obvious especially nissan and infinity are in the dash there's just a slot in the dash that you can insert that remote into so yeah i, so I would it, certainly yeah, if, you, if you hadn't changed the battery recently i'd certainly do that because that needs to do it anyway oh it's been a while yeah yeah i'd go ahead and change that little battery yeah. first see if that doesn't clear it up because if it was a failure in the anti-theft system the car probably wouldn't be starting and if you find that light in your owner's manual it'll give you a description of what that light is on for yeah okay all right man thank you all, all right, you. All okay, right. thanks man okay, bye-bye. bye-bye bye-bye all right let's see let's go back to the line with jack good morning jack good morning gentlemen good morning hey, listen, i've been listening to you guys for years i really thank you for all y'all do on this radio program all y'all right. do Thank you. It's awesome. So before the last break, you all kind of struck a chord with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a 2012 Tundra. Mm-hmm. I live less than a mile away from my office. And mm. on most days, I drive. I ride my bike. And, you know, maybe once a week, once every two weeks, I'll start the truck up. And I see a lot of battery issues. If I were to take a little 12-volt trickle charger yes, sir. and keep it on that battery while it was sitting, would that prolong my battery life in the truck or should I just resign myself to buying a new battery well, every year it, it very well may and you got to be careful that you get one of those computer controlled charges which most of them are now because mm-hmm. you don't want to overcharge a battery because you can kill it from overcharging also but yeah. some people do that it's kind of inconvenient because you have to keep hooking it up and unhooking it we've got another gentleman that bought a little solar powered charger. charger he just right. lays it on the roof of it his car sits out and hooks it up, and that does the job for him. He's extended his life up to about three years on his battery instead of a year. But, yeah, that's just a real problem because you just don't drive it enough to ever keep it. I mean, alternatively, a couple of times a week you can go drive it about 20, 30 miles, but I know that's inconvenient also. So, yeah, to answer your question, I mean, I don't think it really hurts so long as you got one that doesn't overcharge. Right, it'll maintain. Once it reaches a certain point of of charge, then it will go into maintenance charge, and it will just keep a top on it. Right. And not overcharge it. that makes sense. Well, I like the idea of a solar charger. It would work on every day except today. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. All right, gentlemen, well, thank you much. I appreciate it. Okay, thanks, Jack. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. We're going to take our final quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hello, you must be Glenda de Goodrich. Uh, Relax on the couch and tell me what's stressing you out. Do you know how stressful it is to be good all the time? I don't want to be wicked, but sometimes I just like to not say thank you or pinch a bratty kid or stick my finger in a chocolate. And if I don't like the flavor, put it back in the box. Oh, that would be divine. Unfortunately, Glenda, I can't assist you with your goodness issues, but for peace of mind, schedule an annual general inspection with Agco Automotive. 
check out your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and let you know about future repairs. Sad ways, there are no surprises. Well, you definitely want your automotive repair shop to be good and not wicked. A young girl once told me there's no place like home. And I've got to go. Just bill me. I'll be somewhere over the rainbow. Toodaloo! That little bitch might not be so good after all. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Still got plenty of time left. We'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And we've got Ron's been patiently holding. Good morning, Ron. Yeah, good morning, Louis. Look, I've got a 2005 Toyota Camry four-cylinder. Mm-hmm. I was just wondering, how's that, how's that thermostat control work? Uh, I mean, when you got your air conditioner on and you... Move it up toward the warm, if it's too cold. Is that compressor automatically kicks on and off, recycles, or just, just puts heat in there? Well, the compressor runs all the time on those, depending yeah. on demand and all that stuff. What happens when you're moving your control to heat, you're not mm-hmm. disabling the air conditioner. What you're doing is you're opening a blend door, which ducks the air through the heater core. Now, the evaporator core will still work depending on the outside temperature now if the outside temperature drops below a certain point it's going to shut the compressor off because it doesn't it knows it doesn't need it and it wants to protect it but what it wants to do is it wants to cool the air down to dehumidify it and then reheat it it's called a reheat system it makes the car much much more comfortable in other words if it just heated the air it'd be like a 55 chevrolet with a heater you know the the windshield was still all mugged up and all that so yeah it dehumidifies the air which clears the windshield keeps the side glasses clean and all that and then just reheats it to the temperature it wants and this doesn't hurt the car in any way shape or form in fact it's better for it because that compressor needs to operate to lubricate when you cut a compressor off for say the whole winter then it's gonna it's gonna end up having problems so they do utilize the compressor except under certain conditions for instance if the outside ambient is too low it'll disable the compressor if the engine temperature exceeds a certain point, it will disable the compressor. If engine RPM at idle drops below a certain point, it'll disable the compressor. Or if mm-hmm. the pressures in the system are skewed for one reason or another, like if it has a leak or when it closes off the airflow through the evaporator, the low side pressure is going to start dropping really, really low. When it gets to a certain point, somewhere around 32 PSI, it's going to shut that compressor off anyway. So it's not going to let it freeze up or anything. And mm-hmm. it's going to duck just enough hot air through that evaporator core to keep that from happening. And the compressor will cycle on and off, and it dehumidifies the air. So that that's basically, a, I guess, a shortcut view of what it's yeah. doing. It's actually doing a lot more things than that, but that's kind of how it operates. It doesn't turn the compressor off. So it's better like that, to, uh, like if it gets too cold, instead of shutting the com- compressor completely off and turning the exit off, is. And like I said, my wife was kind of driving because I keep cutting it on and keep cutting it off and yeah. keep cutting it on. No. I thought I might be saving some no. gas. No, not at all. It's going to completely control itself. It's kind of like in the old days. Remember when we used to turn the air conditioning compressor off to start the car? Yeah. Yeah, it thought it cut the load on the battery and all that. Well, absolutely unnecessary now because when you crank that car, it's going to shut the compressor off anyway. Right, the computer's controlling all yeah, that. Yeah, it's automatically controlling it all, and it's going to automatically do what it needs to do. But, yeah, you turn it on and off is basically just wearing the switch out. It's not helping anything because it's going to evaluate when it should come on, when it shouldn't come on. 
and running the compressor is much much better than not running the compressor because the oil that lubricates it is in the refrigerant and that only circulates when the system's running you know when you turn it off the oil is heavier than the refrigerant so it it builds up in the evaporator core and it builds up in the condenser and all that at the bottom it it soaks down there and when you start it you know it starts to flow through well then it starts lubricating the compressor again so it's one of those things you want to use. They have it optimized. All you have to do is leave it on automatic and just adjust to the temperature you want. It's going to automatically do everything it needs to do. Right, right. Now, that particular model, uh, 2005, mm-hmm. four cylinders, that have a timing chain on it? A uh, four cylinder has a chain, yes, yeah. sir. Okay. In fact, well, thank almost, you a lot, Lewis. Almost, I enjoy your program, man. Oh, thank you. Almost everything has a chain nowadays. All the newer vehicles, they, yeah. they kept the belts on some of the V6s up until they came out with the 3.5. The 3.5 yeah. was the first chain motor, and on the V8s, when they had the 4.7, I think, when they went to the 4.6, they went to a chain. Mm-hmm. But, Let me ask uh, you something. You think of it hard if, I, if I, I'm using that Mobile One full synthetic oil, mm-hmm. and I change it about every 5,000 miles. I'm putting about, I put about 300 miles a week on the car. You think that's, mm-hmm. think I'm going too long? How long is your average trip, more so than how many miles you put? I mean, when you get in the car, how far do you go before you turn it off? Probably about 30 miles. Okay, well, now if you're driving 30 miles every time you get in a car, you could probably go out 5,000 miles. But most uh-huh. people don't do that. Most people go 10 miles and cut it off, you know, right. and they may accumulate right. some miles. But it's those short trips that uh, yeah. kill, right, it. kill it. Mm-hmm. Keep it full of condensation. I got you. All right, sure. Thank you, Lewis. All you're right, doing man. a good job, man. Well, thank All you right. for calling. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Alright, 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive hour. We'd love to have you. He brings up a good point about you may put 300 miles a week, but if you put that in real short trips. Right, five miles, ten miles at a time. Right. Then you're, yeah. you're not really operating the vehicle in the, the normal operating schedule. Right. You know, it's the length of the trip because what happens when you start the car, the all temperature starts to come up. You know, it's, it's that ambient temperature when sure. you start the car. It comes up, and it, the oil temperature exceeds the coolant temperature. Oil gets very, very hot. It, it gets up way over 200, about 240 degrees. And when it goes over 212 degrees, then the moisture content starts to boil. Mm-hmm. When it boils, it turns to steam. When it turns to steam, it starts to rise up in the crankcase because the steam is heavier than oil. When it gets up to the top, there's a system called a PCV system positive right. crankcase ventilation and this is a vacuum system that sucks air through the motor in a flowing condition where it can suck the steam out burns it up in the exhaust and gets rid of it sure and the point is you have to reach a point above 212 degrees on oil and you have to keep it there long enough time for, for all that oil to, to clean right that's the way all cleans itself because the filter does not remove liquid contaminants the filter will remove solid contaminants above 40 microns correct a liquid contaminant like moisture is going right straight through the filter that's the huge 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 disservice with the manufacturers telling people they can go so long on all changes without taking into consideration how they're being driven yeah how long are your average trips because if you are making little short short trips it's never getting hot enough and there's you crank your car up and you drive it 10 miles well it may reach 212 degrees but only for two minutes yeah for two, minutes. two minutes is not near long enough it's for the not going to process that out so when you turn it off it starts to cool down what happens to a big piece of metal when it cools down in a cold temperature condensates it's going to condensate next time you crank it up it's got all this moisture in the crankcase well the oil is going to it's got dispersancy so it's going to try to absorb this water 
and hold it in suspension, suspension which protects metal. It keeps right. it from attacking the metal. That's what it's designed to do. But it can only hold so much. Right. And it goes through the oil filter, like we were saying before, because it is a liquid. It's going to pass the, right through. The only way to get that out of the system without driving an extensive amount of time and length is a total, a, a total drain, drain and, fill. and fill. A proper drain and fill. Because you can go in, and I know some of these quick lube places now, they'll stick a little tube down your dipstick hole, suck the oil all out. Well, what they're getting is mostly oil on the top, but that last little quarter inch of oil on the bottom of the pan is where the water and oil is going right. to Have you ever Have you ever mixed water and oil? Yeah, oil sits on top. float on water. Right. So the worst sludge, the worst contaminant is, is at, at the, bottom. the very bottom of the pan. Where the drain plug is. That's why they put the drain plug down there, because it's going to take that sludge out when it's designed sure. to do that. But if you don't want to take the drain plug out because you're scared your guy might leave it out or you're scared it's going to strip it or whatever reason. Not put they, it back in correctly. Yeah, whatever reasons they cite for doing it the way they do it, they just stick a little tube down a dipstick tube, suck out the top all, well, the sludge stays in there. Sure. Now, you dump some nice clean all in there. The dispersant seeing this nice clean all sees the sludge, tries to pick it up, and it's contaminated once again. So you're almost instantly recontaminating the all. The way that you have to change all is, number one, you have to run the engine until it's full temperature. Operating temp. Then you have to let it sit long enough for all all drain back down. But while it's still hot, you have to take the drain plug out. Right. The big thing is you have to leave that drain plug out long enough for all this sludge to migrate towards that drain plug because this is much thicker than regular oil. Sure. Sure, the, the thin oil is going to run out fast. You can take the plug out. The oil is going to run out of there in probably one minute. Mm-hmm. You'll have all oil out. But if you notice, if you leave the plug out, you'll see drip, drip, right, drip. That's the heavy oil making its way to the drain. That's what you really want to get out. And most shops, believe it or not, just do not have the time to do that. Exactly. And so that's why I am a big advocate of people changing their own oil when they have the wherewithal to do it and they care to do it. I mean, obviously, if you don't care to do it, that's great. But if you have the wherewithal to do it, you can do a better job even than the best shops because sure. shops just physically don't have the time to, to do it the way. To leave it I mean, out. What I would like to do is go run the car, drive it, get it to operating temperature, let it sit for maybe five minutes, go ahead and drop my drain plug, put my pan under there, and then go in the house and get me a bologna sandwich or something. Sure. You know, go watch Downton Abbey on TV or something. Come back after that. Now it's mostly drained out of there. Go ahead and put the plug back in, torque it, refill it with the proper amount of oil, change the oil filter, and that way you've gotten much, much more of the bad stuff out of the, out right. the car. You kind of skipped one process there mm-hmm. that I would like to mm-hmm. iterate on is the gasket that goes on the drain plug. Mm-hmm. Always change that. Yeah. Because with a new gasket, it's going to seal properly with the right amount of torque, and you're not going to have a leak later on. Well, what happens so often, particularly like let's say a Honda, a Honda uses an aluminum drain plug. Right, washer. it's actually a it's actually a crush seal. It's a crush washer, and the first time you torque it, it crushes. Correct. So it seals. Well, if you come back the next time, you put it back in, it's probably not going to leak right then, but you're going to probably have to put a little more torque on it to keep it from leaking. Sure. Each time you increase that torque, if you're not using a torque wrench, then pretty soon you exceed the torque limit of the oil pan threads. You're going to pull those threads, threads out. out of the pan, right. and now you got a big, big, big problem. And you can always tell when somebody's done that because that crush washer has wor- has smashed so flat that uh, it's worked its way past the threads, and it's it won't come It's about the size off. of a quarter instead of the size of a nickel. Right. <laughs> it won't come past the threads anymore. Yeah, you got One that has been used properly, when mm-hmm. you take it off, when you turn the drain plug over, the right. washer falls off. So use 
brand new crush washer each and every time you change oil and let it drain long enough and you're going to definitely extend the life of your car exactly hey i'll see we're just about out of time start winding on up getting ready to get on out of here like thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week tell your friends go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service and find a written review and fill it out for us there you go we really appreciate those written reviews we like to look at them and makes us feel good about what we're doing not only that but it moves us up in the rankings where when someone types in auto repair we come out close to the top list so more people click on us more people click on us longer we can do the show there you go (laughs) and that's the name of that too (laughs) preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry have a great weekend